In July of 2009, Joel Feldman's daughter, Casey, was walking to her summer job. She was in the crosswalk when a 58-year-old man rolled through the stop sign and struck her. Casey did not survive her injuries and was killed that day because the driver that hit her made a choice to take his eyes off the road and drive distracted. Joel has made it his life's work to educate youth about the dangers of distracted driving so no one will ever have to experience the loss and pain that his family has had to endure. I am honored to introduce you to Joel. Hello, welcome to the Youth Driven Podcast. My name is Becky White, and today I am so excited to have Joel on with us. Joel, hello, good morning, and thank you so much for being on. Oh, good morning, Becky. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, so please tell our audience who you are and a little bit about yourself. Who I am. Okay, well, (laughs) I live in the Philadelphia suburban area with my wife. Uh, I've been an attorney now for 40 years. Uh, I went to school at the University of Vermont and still continue to do outdoor activities. I ski, I climb, I hike, I fish. I love to fish. And um, about being a lawyer, I've been a lawyer, personal injury lawyer uh, for 40 years, and I've represented those who've been involved in terrible crashes. And lots of those are caused by distracted driving. So I guess that kind of brings us to sort of where we are today. Right. And do you mind me asking about the fishing? Is it like deep sea fishing or fly fishing? Oh, it's uh, fly fishing. Yes. Uh, oh, nice. Our, our, our son lives in the mountains in Colorado. So we go out there often and do fly fishing. That must be gorgeous out there. I've... It's a wonderful place to go. Yeah. You should get out there. You did mention distracted driving. And here at Youth Driven, we're all about traffic safety. And distracted driving is a big focus area of ours. And I know you have a very personal story when it comes to distracted driving. So could you share that with us? Sure. It was uh, July of 2009. My 21-year-old daughter, Casey, was walking to her summer job. She was in a crosswalk. And a 58-year-old man, he made a choice. He made a choice to take his eyes off the road reached for his GPS, he rolled through the stop sign, he hit Casey, said that he didn't see her, and we got the call to go to the hospital. And -hmm. about four hours later, the surgeons came into the room, and they told, actually, they didn't even tell us, you could look at their faces, and we knew that Casey was dead. So that kind of changed everything in my life. And today, I, I look at my life really as everything that occurred before Casey was killed, and everything after Casey was killed. And I will tell you this, Despite representing people in the courtroom who've been injured or the families of those killed by distracted driving, I always drove distracted. It took my daughter's death for me to change the way that I drive. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other children? Yes. Our son, Brett, he lives out in Colorado. He was Casey's little, well, I say he was Casey's little brother, but we had a conversation about that. And Casey was killed when she was 21. Brett was 19. He looked up to his big sister, just adored her. And she Mm -hmm. adored him as well. Mm -hmm. When he turned 22, he asked me, hey, dad, I'm now older than Casey can ever be. Is she always going to be my big sister? And the way we resolved it, probably your female audience will appreciate. Uh, We talked and we just concluded that even at age 30, 40 or 50, there was no way a guy could be more mature than Casey. So. At least that's what Casey would have thought. So yeah. always his big sister. Yeah. 
always, my heart goes out to you guys. And tell us a little bit about Casey. What was she like? At six years old, we were about to take a ski trip. And I said the responsible thing was to go out and get helmets for my kids. Casey was six, Brett was four. We're about to check out. Casey looks at me and she says, Daddy, where's your helmet? And I started to tell her about being on the high school ski team and going to the University of Vermont and skiing and all that. And she kind of looked at me. She didn't say I was full of it because she probably didn't know how to say that at six, but that's what the look did. So I got a helmet. She loved animals. After she was killed, she was about to become a reporter. She was the news editor at Fordham University's college newspaper. And after she was killed, her colleagues reached out to us to express their condolences. And there was a common thread. Casey taught us that each and every person has a unique and beautiful story. And it's in the telling of those stories that we change the world for the better. Mm. So uh, Casey was very passionate about journalism, hence the Casey Feldman Award for Transportation Safety Reporting that we've announced. She was very opinionated. We always thought that she should be a lawyer like me, and she would have been a better lawyer than me. I mean, she could argue and talk with anybody. But she was so sweet and so compassionate. After her death, uh, many people told us that Casey was their best friend. And we knew that she had one best friend or so we thought, but other people thought that Casey was their best friend. And they said some of the qualities that endeared uh, her to them. And one was she would listen to me and she wouldn't judge me. She wouldn't give me advice unless I asked for it. So um, she was a, a remarkable young woman. And uh, within a couple of weeks after Casey was killed, my wife and I committed to doing whatever we could to keep other young people safe. Mm -hmm. That is in an, in and of itself remarkable that you and your wife had the strength to do that because as a victim myself, there's so many of us that don't want to share our story because it's so painful, but it's so admirable that you have done so much around distracted driving awareness and educating others. So that's really why I wanted you on because your story is tragic, but you have turned something so tragic into something so powerful and you've reached how many students how many presentations have you done since Casey's death? I've done close to a thousand and they say I've spoken with about 200,000 people. But the organization, and we have speakers all across the country, the organization is enddd.org, enddistracteddriving.org. Mm -hmm. We presented to our 500,000 student during the summer. So we're wow. upward of 500,000. Wow. Think of those numbers. Think of all those people that you are sharing and, and changing their lives and perspective. And that is remarkable. So I do want to kind of go back to Casey and... Can you just tell us about the last time you saw and spoke with Casey? Yeah, it was the uh, night before she died. Actually, I don't like to say died. I like to say she was killed because that driver made a choice. And I think that's an important distinction. It was a nice, and the night before she was killed and we were together. And I don't know, just out of the blue, I asked her, Casey, are you happy? And she looked at me and she said, Daddy, what do you mean? in the moment or for my entire life? And I said both. And she said, yes and yes. 
Mm. And that's been really, really helpful to have, of course, because as parents, we want all of our children to be happy. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, you know, some people talk about regrets for that last conversation. I, I don't, I don't have any regrets. I mean, of course, if I could give back everything I've done that I'm proud of with respect to distracted driving, I, I would give it back in a second to have Casey back, but we can't do that, of course. We can't. So we go on. And um, I, I, at times, I think I'm the most fortunate person in the world because I get to talk to kids almost every day, almost mm-hmm. every day. And they're just wonderful. Now mm-hmm. I talk with I talk with parents and traffic safety conferences and all. And if any older folks are listening to this, yeah, I still like talking to you. But <laughs> there was a conflict. I had to pick the kids or you. Guess what? I'm going with the kids. Yeah. With all of the thousands of people you've talked to, do you have any moments that stand out from a certain audience or a certain person that has listened to your story that you don't mind sharing? There are lots of them. I'm sure. Here, here's one that stands out. Well, let me let me show you this. Um, Casey's favorite color was pink. So we have pink wristbands to remember. So I have a pink wristband. I'll show you. So I've got a pink wristband here, but I've got all these others. Each one has a story. Each one is essentially a dead kid. Right. Each of these are given to me by moms, mostly. Mm-hmm. My son's favorite color, my daughter's favorite color, and they tell me the story. Mm-hmm. With one of them, uh, it was a mom. Her son had been in a single car crash and she gave me the wristband. She told me the favorite color. And then she said something to me. Do you think my son was texting at the time he died because he saw me do it all the time? Mm. And so I look at these wristbands and each one has a story and each one I see moms. And like for all of you kids out there, I'll just tell you this. Um, I want you to think about your moms and your dads, but think about your moms if anything happened to you. Their lives will never be the same. I want you to think about that when you make decisions because you have the ability to protect your parents from that. When you get in your car with someone, will you speak up? When you're driving, what decisions and what choices you will make? You have the power to keep your families safe and sound. And I have a life sentence of um, mourning for my daughter. And you guys can keep your moms and dads, of course, but moms from from being in that situation. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It is a life sentence. Your life changed the day that she was killed. Your life changed and it'll never be the same. What do you want people to remember about Casey? Well, I want them to remember that she was a vibrant young person and she had a future in front of her. Um, Um. And, you know, I told you some things that people told us about Casey after she was killed, her friends. I thought about it. I learned things about my daughter that I didn't know because she was killed. So this is just to to you guys out there. If you've got a great friend and you have a relationship with their parents, maybe, maybe just tell them how important that friend is to you. Tell them how important that friend is to you. You don't want to wait until something, God forbid, awful happens. So I think I think about that. Um, I also think about, you know, I see pictures of Casey and those pictures, of course, are frozen in time because she's not here to have any new pictures. And I look at the pictures and I look at Casey and I see her youth, her energy, her unlimited potential. And when I go into a classroom or an auditorium, I look at all the kids and I take their faces in and I say, each and every one of these kids has what Casey has in that photo. 
But of course, Casey's dead. But we have to do something so these kids can have those lives, those those productive lives that they they so deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. How has this affected your life and your family's life? Well, I'm still a lawyer. I don't lawyer much, to be honest with you. And my law firm, uh, Anna Paul Weiss in Philadelphia, has been incredibly supportive. Do what you need to do, and they, they help. Um, my wife and I have gotten closer. There are those old studies and things. Oh, if uh, if your parent, couple loses a child, they're more likely to get divorced. Well, I, I looked into that, and you know what? It's not really true. It's just some distorted thing. My wife and I are actually closer because of this. Uh, we're closer to our son, grief and trauma. We talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's another side to this. It's called post-traumatic growth. People who've experienced terrible trauma, and you probably know that yourself, Becky, because of your history, um, you get through it somehow, and you kind of look at it and say, gosh, I'm in a better place. I'm a stronger person. My life's goals have changed. Mm-hmm. I'm more spiritual. I, I, I'm more accepting of help from other people. And that's the process of post-traumatic growth, not just recovering to where you were, but actually becoming stronger and more resilient and getting to a position where life is different and there's all these opportunities afforded. Now, again, I'd give it back in a second if I could, but I can't. And so lots of people who've been through trauma are people that, you know, deserve to talk, you know, talk to them and listen to them. I forget who it was, but somebody said you can measure the character of someone, the extent of their character by the number of scars that they have. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm fortunate for that. I, every day I wake up and you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm very, very grateful for the opportunities I've been afforded. You sound like you have a very positive, grateful heart. And I can see that through you. And for anyone that's listening that has gone through something like this or maybe just something else that's really difficult or the loss of a loved one, what sort of advice do you have to keep that positive attitude and gratitude at the forefront? Well, I will tell you that in the aftermath of Casey's death, my contemporaries um, tried to be supportive. Some were, but some were just awful. And when you have a tragic loss, people don't know what to say or do. And looking back at it, I wish I had known better and I could have told them how to help me. But it's kind of a hard thing to do. But maybe if you're going through this, just say to yourself, gosh, people are avoiding me, not because they don't care, but they don't know what to say or do. And maybe you just tell them what you need. Tell them what you need. Um, I actually, I wrote an article about this for the Philadelphia Inquirer years after Casey's death. And it was basically like, you can't cure my grief but knowing I can talk to you is helpful. I love that. It's so true though, because people don't have the right words and they don't know what to say. So some people just avoid. Yep. And if you think about it, we've been traumatized. Our life's been turned upside down. I mean, how do you go on? I mean, I remember leaving the hospital feeling that I was abandoning my daughter. So how do you go on from that? Again, we do. But in addition to the grief, um, there's isolation we feel from people. And that's made worse. It's made worse if people in our network can't help us. 
you're not really in a position when someone you love dies to be able to figure all this out, but maybe, maybe you can think about it mm -hmm. and help other people to help you. Yeah. Have you found that connecting with other families that have maybe gone through a similar loss has helped you? Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. And, and there's something else too. I mean, I grew, I'm 68. I grew up in a different generation than probably most of the folks who are going to, it's clearly you and the kids who listen to this. It was a different generation. My mom, um, when my dad died, my mom told me that he was the strongest person she'd ever known. He didn't even cry at his mother's funeral. Now that's the way they judged it. My mom would tell us, we don't air our dirty laundry in public. We keep it to ourselves. And so that's the way I was. But when your daughter's dead, everybody knows. Everybody knows. So the things that I would have hidden from other people, those stayed hidden. The biggest thing in my life, people knew. And lots of people did try to support and lots of people were helpful. And I'll tell you this, the kids were the best, Casey's friends. I told you about the struggles with my, my my contemporaries. I mean, a lot of them kept telling me over and over again, the men, be strong, be strong, Joel, be strong for, for your wife, be strong for your son. Yeah, we don't have to go into that. But the kids, intuitively, they knew that they couldn't cure our grief. They could just be there and support it. And they said Casey's name. And they right. told Casey's stories. Mm -hmm. And we set it up so that every Tuesday night, it was an open invitation for all the kids after Casey's death to come to have pizza or whatever with us. And we did that for over a year. And we'd have two people. We'd have around the holidays when the kids <sighs> came back into town from college. We might have a dozen kids. And that that connection, that connection with Casey's friends is wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's bittersweet seeing the graduate Casey's friends graduate, get jobs. And now we're going to baby showers and, and weddings and and babies are being bored. It's tough, but you know, it's it's a connection with Casey, and we need that connection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that idea that you guys opened up your home on Tuesdays and just had them come over. That is so beautiful. That comes from Tuesdays with Maury. Have you read that book? Yes. Yeah, it comes from Tuesdays yeah. with Maury. I love that. That's such a good idea. Well, from this. You created an amazing program. Please tell us all about NDD. NDD.org stands for NDistractedDriving.org. And I knew I wanted to go out and talk to kids. And I started to do it. And then I woke up one day and said, Joel, what do you know about talking to people about distracted driving and behavior change and attitude change? So long story short, I found a children's hospital in Philadelphia in my backyard. They're very kind. They helped me come up with science-based presentations. And there's a lot of science out there about what works and doesn't. There's not enough science, but there's a lot. And so we use those and they said, you have to measure it. So they designed pre and post presentation surveys. And that's what they did. Most recently, the U.S. Department of Transportation latched onto our program. And in August of this year, they came out with a study. He was looking at pre and post presentation surveys. I think it was seven or eight schools maybe four to 500 pre and post presentation service. So they had a ton and they found, thank God, that we were effective in teaching kids about distracted driving, teaching them the words to use when others drive distracted to do an intervention, giving them the confidence to know that if they did speak up, they would be effective. And the, almost the best part, it was actually, and the 
post-presentation survey is within two weeks of the presentation. Oh. Kids driving behaviors, uh, their friends and their parents driving behaviors, distracted driving decreased. So mm -hmm. it was not just attitudes, it was actually an effect on actual driving behaviors. So that was so exciting, really exciting. That um, is exciting. It was working. It worked. It worked. And yeah, yeah I was a little nervous about it, you know. Oh, yeah, I bet. You hope you're not <laughs> screwing the kids up worse, right? Right. Kids, you know, our intention is not to screw you up. We want to give you the tools so that you can make these decisions. And, and, and what it all comes down to is you guys know not to drive drunk. It's a terrible thing. And that's not saying there still aren't drunk driving tragedies for you guys, but you know it's a bad thing to do. You look down upon people who do it. We're not there yet with distracted driving. It's culture. Drunk driving is not socially acceptable. We have to make it that way with distracted driving. And you guys can do it. And you probably know all the stats about how adversely and disproportionately distracted driving affects you guys. Mm -hmm. And and I think almost the deck is stacked against you because, you know, you're you're driving, you're inexperienced drivers. When you first start, within a couple of years, you're you're gonna be great drivers. But when you first start, you're addicted to your phones, and lots of us are too. It's not just a, a kid thing. But your moms and dads are driving distracted. I know it because you tell me that in presentation, 70, 80% of you. So you got those three things going on and that's a, a lot to overcome, but you can do this. Mm -hmm. You can do this. Even if your moms and dads drive distracted, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And if you got little brothers and sisters and your moms and dads drive distracted, you have to tell them, even though, in mom, even though mom and dad do it, we don't drive distracted. And we change the culture, your friends, your community, the school. That's how we change it. And I'm so optimistic. I'm more optimistic today than ever that young people are going to do this. We as older folks just have to help them. And I think sometimes get out of their way, get out mm -hmm. of their way and let them do it. Mm -hmm. From your presentations, what is the one thing that you always want students to take away from? Like whether it's a skill on how to talk to someone who may be texting or how to get out of a situation where someone's texting. What's that one thing you always want them to remember? I statements are powerful and they work. You statements, you're just telling people what to do. I feel nervous when you drive me and look at your phone versus you're going to kill me. You're going to cause a crash. You're the worst driver I've ever seen. You say those you statements, people get defensive. You tell your friends in nice, respectful fashion, you know, um, Becky, I care about you, but I'm just a little nervous when you look at your phone while driving me, the kids will put their phone down. They'll feel badly because of the relationship you have. In each of my presentations, we do a role play with kids. Uh, I've done this 300 times. Every single time, the kid, if you see a use statement, they kind of look at you, who are you talking to? Get out of my car, you know, that kind of thing. I statement, it hits them. And then for mom and dad, let me give you the language because we tested this. And I don't give up on your mom and dad. I talk to parents a lot. We can get them to change kids, but they need your help. Mom, dad, I love you, but I don't feel safe when you drive me and look at your phone. It hits your moms and dads like a ton of bricks. It's respectful. It's going to work for you. You can get them to put their phones down. You can do it. You've got the power to do it. Thank you for sharing those. Of course. And They'll definitely work. I love that. What else, other than your amazing presentation, what other programs or awards does NDD 
do? This is our K through two picture book. We now have Wonderful. high school kids going into elementary schools, talking to K through two kids, reading the book to them. And I've got an ulterior motive to have you do that, guys. One, I want the kids to learn at an early age that we don't drive distracted. Just the way we teach them not to vape and not to smoke cigarettes, we need to start earlier. But if you guys are reading this book to them, and we're going to be testing this in a study we have coming up, I believe that you're going to be less likely to drive distracted too. So that's mm -hmm. my ulterior motive. But mm -hmm. we have these books. They're available. If anyone wants them, they could just reach out to me. We also have a second through fifth grade. Well, actually, second and third is one program. Fourth and fifth is another. It's an elementary school lesson plan where we teach the kids what distracted driving is. We've got some videos. Um, we, we use the I statement language as well. I want kids from kindergarten to 18 years old and older. I want them to be using I statements and get their moms and dads to put the darn phones down. Mm -hmm. we, we, we need to do this with your moms and dads, guys, but we can change them. We can change them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll take time, but it can happen and it will happen it for will. sure. And is there anything else about NDD you'd love to share? Well, we have free resources. We do have speakers. Um, there are some students who have started to do some talks. We can pair them up with speakers we have. If you want to go into a school, maybe your school and do talks. Uh, most of our speakers are lawyers like me, but we have a lot of injury prevention specialists, nurses and other folks who and doctors who do talks and just people who are caring to do it. We have a PC version, a Mac version. Um, so we do those talks. We've got um, uh, my wife later when she sees it, she'll say, why didn't you tell them about this, right? Um, I, I think that's kind of it, you know. Um, yeah, we just um, are optimistic, but, mm -hmm. but it's something that we have to do. I mean, it's each and every one of these represents a dead kid. Right. But you know what else they represent? They represent an excuse. The man who killed Casey was reported to say, I looked away for just a few seconds. Over here, I'm a safe driver. I've never been in a crash. It's a quick text or a call. It's really important. Every one of those excuses that anybody can think of for driving distracted, mm -hmm. we can attach that to thousands and thousands of deaths. And, and I guess maybe we can finish up with, kids have taught me so much from these presentations. Before I started doing these presentations, I never thought that distracted driving was selfish or disrespectful, even after Casey was killed. Kids have taught me that you show respect for other people by treating them the way you want to be treated. There's not a single person who drives distracted, who likes it when they see the person in the car next to them driving distracted. We hate it, even if we drive distracted. So kids have taught me that teaches us how we want to be treated. So I want everybody to think about it. If you are that person who says, yes, I respect others, I am a respectful person. Is it enough just to say it or do you have to show it even when you're behind the wheel of a car? And if you don't have your phone on do not disturb while driving or airplane mode and the notifications are coming in, you will be tempted to look at it. Every time you look at it, what does that say about showing your respect for the people you share the road with or the people who are in the car with you? Mm -hmm. so, it's the right thing to do. It's the respectful thing to do. And I'm just so thankful for young people and helping me learn and helping me get better doing presentations over these years. Mm -hmm. 
it's a very selfish act and it's, and it's honestly not just cell phones, right? It's, it's anything distracting you behind the wheel and, and whether it's eating or putting your makeup on or anything, but thank you. And I want to kind of close with what have you learned about yourself through all of this? Well, I talked about post-traumatic growth and I'm fortunate. I think that I've attained some of that. Um, I've talked about being a more open person because I didn't grow up in a family where we, you know, relied upon other people. We kind of did it ourselves, but um, I, I got a master's in counseling after Casey was killed because I knew this was all about attitude and behavior change. And I, I knew I had to speak with people, listen to them and figure out how we can get them to work towards a better solution. And as a lawyer, I probably still, you know, I'm still a lawyer, but people would say, Joel, he could really get from A to Z quickly. And I kind of knew what I wanted in a case and I got there and I directed it. As a counselor, I've learned that I don't have all the answers and it's okay not to have all the answers. It was never okay for me not to have the answer as a lawyer. So I've learned that it's okay for me not to have the answers and it's okay to reach out to people. And I guess that probably speaks of being vulnerable and that's mm -hmm. a positive thing. And I never was really, I was very guarded. So I think that um, that's been a wonderful result of this. I mean, you know, it's, um, I couldn't have said this in the year or two after Casey's death, but as a result of my daughter's death, I'm more personally and professionally fulfilled than I've ever been in my life. Mm -hmm. It's just, it happened. And I'm mm -hmm. thankful for that. I really am thankful for that. Well, I'm thankful that you've started NDD and are sharing this extremely important message to so many, so many students. And thank you for sharing Casey with me today. She sounds like an incredible girl and she is so lucky that you were her dad. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Rebecca. Be safe, everybody. Joel, it was an absolute honor getting to speak with you, and I wish nothing but the best for you and your family. I have no doubt that Casey is so proud of all the work that you're doing and the lives that you're saving. Thank you to everyone for listening, and if you'd like to contact me or see all the prevention work that we do, you can visit our website at youthdriven.org. And as always, take care of each other on the roads and continue to lead by example.